Hello there, lovely people. Welcome to For Real. I'm Kim Stewart, and I'm so happy to introduce our conversation today. Ashley Gad is probably best known for creating coffee and crumbs, that beautiful creative corner of the internet where moms are writing and making and sharing and growing. Ashley has done this work herself and wrote a beautiful book, her own photography included, I might add, called Create Anyway, Creativity in the Margins of Motherhood. We talk about how to continue to create even in full or outright hysterical seasons, permission slips for moms, and how to get a little less precious about having perfect conditions for our creativity. Whether your idea of being creative is to write a sonnet or make an Excel spreadsheet, a color-coded extravaganza, this conversation is for you. We are all wired to make things, and who better to weigh in on doing that in all seasons but Ashley Gadd. Ashley Gadd, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm super excited to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here. Well, listen, you and I were just talking about um, how you're getting back in the saddle Mm -hmm. after taking a little time (laughs) off. And I'm going to ask you about that later. But um, I loved reading your book, Create Anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, partly because I am always in that space myself. Um, The subtitle is The Joy of Pursuing Creativity in the Margins of Motherhood. And I wholeheartedly resonate with that. But before we go too far into this, I do want to say this conversation is not just for moms. Mm -hmm. And it's also not just for writers or photographers or kind of maybe what we think about when we think about creatives. So can we start there for those who are listening who aren't artists, Mm -hmm. um, who don't shoot film as you do. You have beautiful photography in this book and I so admire you. And it took me back to the nineties on my, on the yearbook staff (laughs) when we were wholly in to film for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But for those people who are listening, who are like, I'm not really, I wouldn't say I'm creative. Talk to me Mm -hmm. about creativity because you do a great job in this book of expanding that border. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think creativity is one of those words that it can just make people feel a lot of feelings. I don't know why that is. It's kind of intimidating. And I have felt that a lot, even with the word writer, you know, it took me years and years and years to call myself a writer because I had all these preconceived notions about what it meant to be a writer. And I felt almost as if I had to reach a certain level of experience or success before I could claim that title when in actuality, if you write, you are a writer. A writer is a person who writes and I write all the time and I've been writing my entire life. And yet I was so nervous to claim that word for myself. And I think creative or creativity is one of those words that people really wrestle with because they have a lot of preconceived notions about what it means to be creative. You know, we, we inherently picture you know, painters or scrapbookers or, you know, any of these maybe more um, mainstream cliche stereotypical versions of creativity when in actuality, the, you know, to be a creative is to be a person who creates, who makes stuff, who makes stuff. We're making stuff all the time. Women are creating all the time. And if we even just trace it back to the foundation of the earth, you know, God created in the very beginning and God created us in his image. And if God is a creator and we are made in his image, we are also creators. We are also creative. And so I just love to, I love to strip that word from Mm -hmm. being this intimidating, threatening, or even Mm -hmm. like a word that we hold up on a pedestal. And I just want to bring it back down bring it back down to earth. You know, at the end of the day, if you create anything, whether that's creating meals or creating stories, creating memories, um, we're creating things all the time, especially as women, especially as mothers. And so I just, I urge women to view that word differently and to embrace it, not just as um, a title that they can, that they can wear or a word that they can claim, but also just as part of the identity, you know, this is like in our DNA because we are made in the image of a really creative God. Yes. Amen. 
I think we have paired creativity feeling legit as a creative mm-hmm. or a creative person if we are paid. Yes. I think that's where it gets a little wonky. I hang around with a lot of people who are writing or hoping to write and they all say the same thing. And I have felt the same thing. Like, how Mm -hmm. could I ever say I am a writer unless someone Mm -hmm. has cut me a check? And I love it that you, you take that to task. I mean, (laughs) when you're baking cookies for your kids, Mm -hmm. that is creating when you Mm -hmm. are planting something in a garden or in my case, killing something. (laughs) That's not creative. Oh, uh, you the- and you and me are are <laughs> true sisters here. I I feel a new level of kinship with you all of a sudden. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I think that I love it though that you strip that layer away. This is not about whether or not someone has given you a business card, yes, or you have printed them and decided yes. now I am an actual creative. I think there's just so much more to love about that. Um, and there's something that happens. Maybe this mm-hmm. is just me. I don't mm-hmm. think so. There's something that happens when you make things. Yes. Even if that is, I mean, there are so many versions of this, right? As mm-hmm. you said, making a space more beautiful, mm-hmm. um, putting something in the earth and seeing what happens with that, helping mm-hmm. your kids make mm-hmm. something from nothing or just doing yeah. it on your own. That yeah, something happens with that, that I don't think we can scratch that itch elsewhere. Do you think mm-hmm. that's true? I do. I think there's there's a sense of wholeness that accompanies the act of really stepping into the fullness of who we were created to be. And I know for me, when I'm engaging myself in these creative acts, you know, I love to write, I love to take pictures. And when I'm doing those things, I feel like I am truly stepping into the fullness of the gifts that God has given me to steward on this earth and Mm. to use on this earth for his glory. And Anytime I engage in that, the the sense of um, wholeness and fulfillment and delight that I experience in those acts is so sacred and it's profound. And I think that's why I I really believe and I try to emphasize in the book this as well, that there's nothing wrong with being paid for our art and being paid for our creative work. At this point in my life, I am paid something right. for those things. But there are still a lot of creative acts that I am not paid for. And I think part of what keeps me going in those is that feeling of joy and delight and fulfillment and wholeness that I experience. And I think at the end of the day, like that is an actual stronger motivation to keep doing those things than just collecting a paycheck, Hmm. you know? Totally. I love this. I love that you talk about that act in terms of being in a house with a bunch of people because (laughs) you start out your book and you refer to this several times throughout this book itself began while you were giving your daughter a bath and you were scribbling on index cards Mm -hmm. and you take, you know, a sledgehammer to the shins of the idea that if you're going to create something, you need to be in a cabin in the woods. I used to think it was in an attic with a roaring fire. Yeah, I thought I needed lights. totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like swirling some sherry. I thought I needed to, mm-hmm. you know, be around people who were speaking in a British accent. That's how yes. I could write my best book. Yeah. Um, so far that has never happened to me. I've never written by a roaring fire. It's I don't such think. a shame. I such know. a shame. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I wish I could write in <laughs> that environment. <laughs> yeah, rather than dissing the bathroom it. floor. Right, <laughs> right. If that's if that's your current setup and working for you, more power to you. But for the rest of us, you know, for the rest of us, uh, I think more often than not, it, that's, it does. It's, it's scrappy. It's, it's, it's scrappy sitting, it's sitting on the floor of the bathroom. It's sitting on the sidelines of soccer practice. It's keeping a notebook in your car. When you're in the carpool line, picking your kids up from school, it's, it's claiming these, these moments throughout the day where you can pursue the things that God is calling you to make and calling you to do. And it's not, you know, I, I love to talk about this in the in the framework of motherhood because I think for so many of us we we feel this tension, right? When we become mothers that we just don't have time anymore. It's like what is time? What is free time? No one not has mine. time. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> to not do mine anything. To hold. Mm-hmm. And I think something that I've really been kind of working to reframe in my life and in my creative practice is you know, for so long, I really viewed creativity as sort of 
a luxury. You know, it was a luxury. Okay, let's talk about this. Yes, continue. Let's let's, let's go. Let's dive let's into just it. get in there. <laughs> I think for so long I viewed it um almost as as like a frivolous thing, you know, that oh, when I'm just because again, for a lot of my creative work, still to this day, I don't get paid for it, right? Like I don't, I don't get paid for a lot of the things that I make and a lot of the creative work that I do. I do it because I want to do it because it fills me up because it, um, it scratches an itch that I have yeah. to, to create something, to, to live intentionally on purpose, using the gifts that God has given me. And for a really long time, I had, I had all of that work and those dreams and those creative endeavors in this bucket that I had labeled frivolous or this is this is just a hobby or I was so um it's like I didn't take it seriously because I didn't think that it mattered very much and the work that I've been doing over the past decade has really been reframing that um in my mind from this thing that doesn't matter at all to this thing that actually matters quite a bit because when I am pursuing creative acts when i'm when i'm flourishing as a person that bleeds into my mothering that bleeds into my marriage that bleeds into my home my friendships the rest of my life in a myriad of positive ways and that matters it ma- it actually matters so 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 much you know and i've i've learned to kind of reframe creativity from where i once thought it was you know frivolous or selfish to no, this actually is really essential. It's essential for me to take these God-given gifts and talents and find a way to use them in the world, you know, not just for God's glory, which obviously is the most important aspect, but also for my own self, you know, so that I can show up in my life and I have more love inside of me to pour out. I have more patience inside of me to pour out. I have more just energy um, and enthusiasm for the beautiful life that God has given me. And I want to steward all of it well. And part of that is is stewarding what he's given me to tend to for my own heart as right. part of that work. Yeah, I'm thinking about another author that you quote in your book, and you will have to tell me the name of this person. Okay. Um, Let's see if I remember. But he, and if not, we'll put it in the show notes. Either way, we'll put it in the show notes. But you say, um, you quote him as saying, it is not, it's, and this is a butchering of an exact quote, but human beings don't need beauty to survive, but mm. they do need it to flourish. Yes. I believe that was Makoto Fujimura. We're going to go with that. We will have to fact it in check there. it at yep. the end of the I show. But I love that distinction because mm-hmm. I think, um, in motherhood for me, there have been entire seasons when the focus was survival. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think I, um, the, our home was impoverished by that. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. just in it, right? If you totally. have a child with just a ton of need at that time, mm-hmm. you have a ton of need. There are all sorts mm-hmm. of folks who listen, who are dealing with disability and health mm-hmm. issues or yeah. divorce or loss. Like there are seasons mm-hmm. when all you can do mm-hmm. is get up and put your foot one in front of the other. And man, do I see you if you are in that. But I would argue that maybe especially in those seasons, mm-hmm. beauty mm-hmm. and creating something, making something, even if it's just the best freaking cup of tea you have ever made, <laughs> it is that mm. is a worthwhile pursuit yeah. because I think that we are wired to love beautiful things. And if you are yes. wondering, we're, I, we're recording this during the fall and outside of both of my, I have windows to the right and the left of me. And I live in the Midwest and the fall is a riot of color. It is so beautiful. I don't have the right words for it. And so if you're ever wondering if God values beauty, just come mm-hmm. to Iowa in October <laughs> and just step out my front door and you will know he could have just had that whole season change be mm-hmm. like overnight and all the mm-hmm. leaves would die. Yeah. Um, that would be very efficient, but I think he loves beauty. And yeah. so that's in us as well. So I love it that you talk about that. This is not a selfish pursuit. It's mm-hmm. actually how we are wired in all, mm-hmm. in all seasons and all parts of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in motherhood when it feels like it's a fire after a fire after a fire and you need to put it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love what you just said. And I, I have a, my very best friend is in a season like that right now, where just 
Her world is collapsing all around her and really has been for the last couple of years. She's been going through a lot of hard things and she started taking pictures when everything first happened, when um, her world came crashing down, she took out her camera. It was one of the first things she did. She had this, this urge to chase light and find light and find beauty in the brokenness mm-hmm. all around her. And I, I think that is such a testament to what it means to be a believer, right? We live in just a broken world with heartbreak all around us all the time, devastation all around us all the time. And yet for those of us who have this eternal hope, you know, finding ways to capture glimpses of it here on earth is such a powerful, um, it's such a powerful act of hope, of declaring hope beyond this world. And again, going back to that simple truth, this matters, art matters. And unfortunately we kind of live in a society that doesn't really value it. Right. Um, but I see, I see it as one of the most essential parts of even living out our lives as believers, as looking around at all of the brokenness and finding beauty in it mm-hmm. and not stopping until we do. Um, and I just think that that is such a powerful act that, you know, anybody in any season, I'm not saying it has to be a camera, but if there is a way for you to create beauty, find beauty, notice beauty, capture beauty, um, it's, it's a real, it can actually be like a really healing practice. Absolutely. I think in our house, my family knows when I'm feeling, um, like I haven't been making anything when I start Mm -hmm. baking like my fire. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a like very beginning, middle and end. I make something, they eat it, they like it. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. love that, that there are a lot of other parts of my life that take longer Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make things. It takes a long time to write a book, for example. Um, But there is something about tending to your heart in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it that you, that you value Mm -hmm. that. I would like to come to, I'd like to kind of pivot to how in the world you're doing this with children. Okay. <laughs> um, I have some. Yep. Yours yep. are, you have three kids. What are their ages right now? Uh, right now they are eight, 11 and four. No, yes. 11, I, I should have gone in order. That Listen, was weird that I did that. I, I, did, I noticed the that. It's okay. 11, <laughs> yeah. 8, and... 11, 8, and 4 is what <laughs> I meant so to awesome. say. I am all over the place right now. I have a sixth <laughs> grader, a third grader, and a preschooler who all go to different schools as of yeah. this year. So that's been that's a bit of a little mean. adjustment this fall. <laughs> but That's why you don't know how old they are. That's why I don't know. It takes yeah. me a second to remember. Yeah, You're too tired. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely have done that many times. In fact, you Usually two of my children were born on the same day, three years apart. And oh so my goodness, the what hard... are the odds of that? Listen, That's wild. And please don't ask me if I induced to make that happen I won't, on I purpose. Will, I will. Do I look like a me. woman who wanted to do that? <laughs> no. no, but what, for years, every pediatrician call when I would try to get all of them in at the same time, and uh-huh. I would say their, their dates. Yes. Every single time there was a pause and the nurse is like, oh, you're so are tired. You, yeah. They're like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you sure yeah, that's You want to revisit that? <laughs> so, okay. So you have three, you are in it mm-hmm. to win it. I have three. We're a little bit older. Mine are college and high school. Okay. Um, and I wish, Ashley, mm-hmm. that I would have had your book about 10 years ago because you make such a powerful case for the importance of creating alongside our kids. And for years, I, um, I'm not sure what Kool-Aid I was drinking. It really doesn't make sense that I thought this, my mom is a professional musician. And so I saw her being a violinist and having a studio of violinists in our house. I thought that was completely normal, um, because it was for us. And she did this. So she did this dance so beautifully. So I'm not sure why I started thinking that I needed to create when people were sleeping. I mean, part mm-hmm. of it is I need quiet, but mm-hmm. when they're sleeping, yes. when they're at school, what they're at half day kindergarten, whatever, I mm-hmm. would just real quick make things. And for me, mm-hmm. it was writing books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it into my head that once kids were around, then I had to do like the real work, right? So mm-hmm. that's when I should be vacuuming or mm-hmm. cooking or cleaning or schlepping. And all of those things are important, but I wish I would have given myself permission earlier mm-hmm. to be doing things, making things, even if it's not writing while mm-hmm. the kids were in the room. I'm not sure mm-hmm. where I picked that up. Do you find that 
a lot of women think that or am I a weirdo? And it's okay. No, I think a lot of women think that. And I thought that too, once upon a time. So I'm nodding along because I resonate with everything that you have just said. I think there was a long period of time, specifically when I was a new mom, where You know, I think a lot of it just boiled down to guilt and the expectations I had of myself and, okay, when I'm with my children, I need to be fully with my children. And when I'm I'm making art, I need to be fully making art. And I, I felt this constant, this constant tension and this desire to keep those worlds separate. Right. You know, I want to be a present mother. I want to be good at my art. Ergo, these two worlds cannot touch each other because if they do, everything is going to implode and I will be a bad mom and I will be a bad writer and nothing will be good. And the reality of the situation is keeping worlds separate from motherhood, especially in the early years where your children are literally attached to your body. Yes, they sure are. Mm-hmm. Is impossible. And right. I... I found myself constantly um, just kind of rubbing up against that expectation and realizing how impossible it was going to be for me to separate these parts of myself that honestly really desperately wanted to be together. You know, I mean, I think, um, yeah, in a perfect world, I would have free childcare on demand. And I would have a cabin in the woods. Like that's the perfect situation. I don't have any of those things. I don't have free childcare on demand and I don't have a cabin in the woods. And so my options are I either stop making art Mm. or I figure out how to do it in the margins. There's so many things I am willing to do in front of my kids, right? Like I vacuum in front of my kids. I wash the dishes in front of my kids. There's lots of things I do in front of my kids, not just because they have to be done, but also because I want to model to my children. This is what it looks like to make a meal, take care of a home. Why would I not model for my kids and show my kids what it looks like to make art? Why would I not model and show my kids what it looks like to take the gifts and the talents that God has put inside of me and use them in the world. Like, is that not what I want for my own children? I want my children to grow up and create. I want them to grow up with a deep love and appreciation for art and for beauty. And if I want them to do those things, what better way to encourage that in the long haul of their lives than to show them what it looks like myself? gosh, I would hate to get to the end of my life. And that's the memory my kids have of me, right? Is this mom that was just constantly vacuuming the floors and picking up things and cleaning and wiping and scrubbing dishes. And I want them to see me doing the things that make me feel alive. I don't want to do those things in secret and not let my kids bear witness to it because I want them to remember me that way. Um, And I want them, you know, my daughter, especially Presley, if she grows up and becomes a mother, I want her to be able to make that time for herself and to use her gifts in the world. And so I have to show her what that looks like. And there's no better way than to model it myself. That was a really long answer. I'm sorry. No, it was such a great answer. (laughs) Such a great answer. No. And I wholeheartedly agree um, that there's something about seeing our, our kids, seeing us do all the things, Mm -hmm. Um, not crushing it necessarily. I'm not saying like being amazing at all the things, because I'm sure not doing that, but letting them in. Letting them in. I've started to let, I mean, it took me years to do this, but I tell my kids when I have a horrible writing day, I tell Mm -hmm. them when I'm super frustrated about things. I tell them when I'm um, irritated and depleted with my work and also the joyful moments too. I'm trying to let those doors swing open Mm -hmm. um, because I need them to see all of that so that when they're in their own lives, they will know there, you know, it's just not mountaintop to mountaintop. Mm -hmm. Good things take time to grow and good things are also sometimes not so good. Like it takes, it takes a minute to get through um, a whole bunch of different valleys. So, and I think it's so good for our kids to see to see us as well-rounded people, you know, I talk to so many women who, um, you know, just feel, they feel really invisible or feel like their family doesn't see them for who they are or what they're good at. And I, 
I, I want to just grab, you know, every mom by the shoulders and just give her that permission. Like it's okay to put your full self on display, even in your own home. You know, I think that's important for our family to know what we're good at and what we love to do, what makes us come alive, what makes us feel like we're flourishing. And so they can come alongside us in those endeavors. You know, I, I have a lot of, I have a very big support network, I would say with my creative work at this point in my life, but my family is, is the foundation of that support. My husband, I'm very blessed and very privileged to have a husband who is really, really supportive of my, of my creative endeavors. And my kids are too. And I know that without that support, it would be really hard for me to justify, you know, the time and the space that it takes. But I think that my family, by bearing witness to what creating does in me, they know it makes me a better mom, a better wife, just generally better to be around. And so, of course, they want to support that ecosystem, right? Because it really benefits our whole family. When when the mom is is caring for herself and doing things that make her feel like she is flourishing, make her feel like a whole person, the whole family benefits from that. And um, I'm just really passionate about helping women kind of reframe that, right? From this isn't selfish when it's actually helping you pour out better into your family. No, you have permission. If yes. you're listening to this, you have all the permission you need. In fact, you have a whole page of permission slips for moms in this book. And I loved that, that mm-hmm. you have permission. My, the one I liked the most was you have permission to create with no end goal in mind. Yes. So you can do that because that's a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you mentioned your husband, I sure as heck hope that your husband, um, or your spouse, whoever, for our listeners, listen, (laughs) I'm guessing that your creative bent and the things that make you, you are part of why you fell in love. So this is not Mm. the time to be like, well, in 20 years, I'll get back to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm older than you, Ashley. And so I'm seeing (laughs) what happens in my age group. I'm seeing what happens Mm -hmm. when your kids are in high school or in college and you take stock for the first time in a long time. And people kind of let their shoulders go down and think, wait, what did I love to do before I did this? All the things we're doing as parents are ridiculously important. They're just not the only important things. So that's a good battle cry to remember over Mm -hmm. and over. This idea that creativity begets creativity. Creativity. Mm -hmm. I love that. I was of the camp of sleep. You mentioned sleep, (laughs) teaching your kids to sleep and the sleep begets sleep. And I did that did not ever make sense to me until I started to have my kids stay up way past their bedtime to try to make them sleep longer in the Uh morning. Never once worked. Mm -hmm. It was horrendous. Mm -hmm. The more you sleep, the more you sleep. And you say the same thing about creativity. The more you Mm -hmm. create, Mm -hmm. the more you create. So convince the skeptic that's listening and thinking that's not possible. Uh, Oh man, I didn't come in here with my debate hat on, but let me, (laughs) let me think about how to frame this argument for a second. We're a really easy crowd, so you don't have to debate anything. (laughs) No, I, you know what? I think creativity, it really, it's like a muscle and that's the the, truth, you know, and the more you use it, the more, the, the easier it gets. And that's not to say that the creative process is easy. It's yeah. not easy at all. Right. But or that I'm, everything you make is fantastic. A hundred percent. I make crappy stuff all the time. Same and same. Um, <laughs> it's all it's all part of the process. It's all part of the process. But you know, the creativity begets creativity thing. You know, I I just think there's so much power in momentum. And I know for me that there have been seasons in my life where for whatever reason, whether I'm just in a, in a dry spell creatively, I'm maybe I'm just purely exhausted. Maybe I'm in a newborn, you know, I have a newborn baby. I'm not sleeping at all. I just feel like I have literally nothing else to give. I've been in seasons before where, you know, they can, it almost feels like a bit of a creative drought. And I, I continue to see it as a miracle when the first time I actually step out of that space and make the time to sit down and either write something or take a really beautiful picture that I'm really proud of or bake banana bread or put seeds in the dirt, like whatever the thing is, how just that sheer act of, of moving forward, it really can just propel so much momentum. And I find that the more you know, the more I write, the more pictures I want to take. And the more pictures I take, the more 
flowers I want to grow. And the more flowers I grow, you know, the more flowers I grow, the more time I want to spend outside. It's like every little thing has kind of this little domino effect. And once you start just letting yourself kind of live off that momentum, it's almost like if you can, um, I don't, I don't run. I don't like cycle. So I just need to put that out there right now. Like I do yoga and that's it. So I, when I use, um, exercise metaphors, I I need to make it clear that this is not even personal experience so much as I just, I know hypothetically, (laughs) but I, I almost think of it as if you can, like, if you're riding a bike up a hill, if you can just get yourself there. If if you can just get moving and just get yourself to the top of that hill, you know, on the way down, you can like take your foot off the pedal and you can just feel the wind at your back. And to me, just getting over that initial hump, it just creates this like forward motion, this, this sense of momentum where you just want to keep going. And the more you the more you notice beauty around you, the more you want to document it. And the more you document it, the more you want to see it. And it's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost, there's almost like a a holy mystery to it. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, that's how art works. It's just every act of creativity begets another act of creativity. It's extremely generative in that way. And I think that practice, if you can just get yourself up the hill and that's hard, I don't want to say that's not hard, especially if you're coming out of a season where you haven't been creating, or maybe you've spent your whole life resisting the urge to create, and it just feels impossible to get started. That's my encouragement to you. Just get your butt up the hill and the rest will just follow. You will just feel it. everybody just a quick break here to let you know about a fun resource for all of you visual people did you know that you can watch for real on youtube it's true you can see when i'm wheeze laughing off camera take note of when the lawnmower kicks up outside my window and see all of these conversations unfold in real time so if you are more of a watcher than a listener head on over to the kimberly stewart youtube channel and pop some corn We will be happy to see you there. And now back to the conversation. I want to ask you about what you've been making recently. You have been on a social media sabbatical, um, which I wholeheartedly support (laughs) and think is a fantastic idea. And I'm wondering, I mean, this is like a very timely question. How has Mm -hmm. that rejuvenated you? How did you decide to do that? Because a lot of your work has been online. You are a founder, the founder, right? Of Coffee Mm -hmm. and Crumbs, which Mm -hmm. is a beautiful space and a beautiful resource for so many mom creatives. Mm -hmm. Um, I have people in my life who are very envious that I'm talking to you today. Oh my goodness. So you have built something really beautiful and you are continuing to build it. Mm. And that's mainly online. And so Mm. how did you decide to step away? Because there are lots of folks listening who are thinking, is social media a place where I want (laughs) to hang out more or less? And if so, how did you take a sabbatical and are you coming back? What do you know now that you didn't know a few months ago? Oh gosh, Kimberly, how much time do you have to, to talk through this? <laughs> Should I have started with that question? <laughs> this could be a whole podcast. Uh, let me let me try to be concise about it. So, first of all, thank you so much for that. Just those generous words. I'm I'm truly humbled by them, and I hope I have not disappointed you in this not interview. Not one bit. You have lived up and more. <laughs> um. You know, I I have had a love hate relationship with social media for quite some time. As basically all of us do at this point. Is that fair to say? Totally I don't know. Fair. Yep. Um, so starting in 2020, I started really pulling back from social media. I've been taking kind of month long breaks on an as needed basis for a number of years now. But in 2020, you know, I took two months, two full months off in the summer and I decided that I was only going to come back half the time. So I came back in the fall of 2020 and I started deleting Instagram every other week, as well as like two full months out of the year. So my current rhythm is really that I am, I'm off Instagram completely. Like it's deleted from my phone. I am not logged in. I'm off, off, off all the way 30 weeks a year. And I'm on it 22 weeks a year. And I feel like with every passing year, I've been sort of pulling back 
more and more. So this year I said, I extended my summer break. I'm normally off all of August, but I decided to take off July and August. And here we are, we're recording this at the end of September and I have not come back yet. So, um, it wasn't intentional for me to take three months off. I think what happened this time around is, um, you know, I took two full months off and, the reality is my, my real life is asking a lot of me these days. And in order to be consistent and be present in my real life, and that means in my work, in my relationships, in my friendships, in my marriage, in my mothering, um, I just haven't been able to be consistently in both places. And so I've just kind of come to a place of peace about that. I'm sure I will get back on, um, pretty soon because it it does feel like it's been quite some time. And I do rely on social media still to help promote my work. And so there's there's a lot of tension there and I could talk about that for hours, but I'm, I'm going to save you. I think, um, you know, right now with just the, the building something online and you've been online for a long time, you built Coffee and Crumbs, which is all online. So I will share a fun project that I'm working on right now is I'm actually working on a printed magazine I that, about that I, yeah, I've been dreaming about it for a while. And this year I feel like God just kind of opened the doors for me to be able to pursue it. And I've been thinking a lot, I used this word earlier, but this word legacy has really been on my heart for a while. You know, I think when it comes to coffee and crumbs, this is not something I'm going to do forever. I'm really aware of that. You know, my kids are getting older. I've been doing this work for nine years and there is going to be an expiration date on this work. And so it's really been kind of pressing on my heart lately, just the legacy that we're leaving behind. And, you know, oftentimes when a a website shuts down or an online community shuts down, there's really nothing left of them other than the website, right? And maybe they keep the archives up for a little bit, or maybe they don't even do that, but there's nothing tangible left. And so I've, it's really been on my heart this year to start thinking of how I can preserve the legacy of our creative work. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds, possibly even thousands. I don't know. I don't keep track of the count, but of beautiful essays about motherhood, these really honest, raw, vulnerable stories that are so powerful and so special. And it's really been on my heart to find a way to preserve some of that work in a tangible format so that when we do get to the end, there's something left of us that people can hold in their hands. And so Um, Yeah, I'm working on a printed magazine. We're calling it Coffee and Crumbs, the Legacy Collection, Volume One. If it goes well and, you know, we don't like lose money on the project, I would love to make a Volume Two, Volume Three, Volume Four. It feels a little high risk because print is really expensive and I know times are tough for a lot of people. And I truly, it's it's very much, uh, I don't know how it's going to pan out, I guess I should say. It feels a little bit like a risk, you know, this, this endeavor that I'm working on. But I can tell you that I've had so much fun and it's lighting me up in a way that I haven't felt in a while. And I just went to Kinko's last week. I spent $38 printing out the spreads and I put them all over my dining room table. And I felt like I was having a Devil Wears Prada moment where I just, I was looking at this beautiful printed magazine. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Oh, but... yes. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of my favorites. And I think, it's you so know, great. When I was younger, I mean, that was one of my dream jobs, right? Was to like work at a magazine. And so um, it's, you know, it's me and my $38 at Kinko's and spreading it on the dining room table. It's it's not quite the uh, the devil wears Prada. You're not wearing Prada vibe. in the moment, but in your I'm, heart. I'm not. And you're wearing... also not the devil. <laughs> I, there are I'm differences. I'm also not the devil. I'm not wearing, um, yeah, I'm not wearing high heels and I don't have like a cool glamour office, you know, in the right. middle of New York City, but Other than that, other than that, it's been so fun making a magazine and it's been just so cool to even like see this work in print because I don't see that, you know, we make all of our work is on, on the internet. It's all online. It's all, it goes from a Google doc into a Squarespace website. It's, I don't ever touch it. I don't ever, you know, get to look at it all spread out on paper with photos. And it's been really energizing to me. Um, so that's what I've been working on while I've been on this sabbatical. I've been, I'm off of social media and I've been working on that. And I've also been, um, just shooting a lot of film, which has been so fun. And it's another tangible thing that I've really enjoyed doing. I recently was able to photograph a family for a day on film, which has been on my bucket list for a really long time. And it was a dream. 
it was a dream. They were a dream. They were a dream to photograph. I had so much fun just being slow and taking my time. And I kind of realized at the end of the day, like, this is how I want to photograph families. I want to do it on film and I want to do it all day. And that's, I, I had never done that before. And it was really cool to come out of that experience and just feel so creatively fulfilled in that. I love this. I love all parts of this. Um, I love it that you, you circled several times around the idea of preservation. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful construct that I have not, I haven't used that word in that yeah. context before that you're right. It's all a little bit slippery. The things that mm-hmm. we make online. I mean, there's yeah. a place for it. And I think yeah. there's a, a spot that can be really life um, infusing. Yeah. But you got to talk about being scrappy. You've got to throw some elbows for it to be like that. And you're mm-hmm. right that it can, it can leave. So mm-hmm. I love the idea of things held. And I mean, that's why I keep writing books mm-hmm. that yeah. at a certain point to hold it in your hands, yeah. that is, it feels more permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a different rhythm to make mm-hmm. something like that. Right. I yeah. mean, I can post, I can it's post slow. moments. It's, yes. It's, it's very so slow. slow. I mean, I mean, working slow. on working on this print magazine, just piece by piece, design by design, page by page. I mean, yeah. it's very slow. It's very time consuming. Shooting film is so slow. I'm right. still, I'm still so slow, like metering every shot, being really intentional with every shot. And then you have to wait for the film to get scanned and developed. And the whole thing is very, it takes weeks, right. You know, to get the scans back. And, but I, I'm loving the slowness of it. You know, I think that in our fast paced TikTok, you know, just endless content through a fire hose world, there's something so beautiful about just getting, for me, it feels like I'm making less, like I'm really, I'm making less work, but I'm making beautiful work that I really care about. And it's, it's that quality over quantity mindset of, yeah, I haven't been on social media in three months, but behind the scenes, I'm slowing down and I'm making really special oh, for things. sure. And oh, and so- please hear me. I was definitely not saying, what have you been up to if you haven't been on social media? I assume <laughs> no, if people fine. are I on social take it media, that way. <laughs> I assume if you're not there, you're doing really great stuff. Yes. So yes. Um, that's the assumption here. Yeah. This weekend or last this weekend we had homecoming at our house. And so, yeah, it was really fun. We do a dinner at our house every time we've had a lot of prom and a lot of homecoming dinners. I don't know how many over the last many years, but, um, my kids were talking about how the DJ was so much better at the dance this year because he let full songs go the year before it was, it, it basically felt like my son, Mitch said, it felt like TikTok. The DJ would let the song go for only so many, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds or it would build to like the actual fun chorus or the bridge and he'd kick it off and go to another thing. It was very frustrating for people who love music. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It takes time. I think we're conditioned Mm -hmm. for short things right now, even Mm -hmm. at homecoming dances. And I love (laughs) it that you're doing longer things. Mm -hmm. Um, Ashley, I have one more question for you before, before that, I just want to say one of the ideas that has stuck the most with me in your book, Create Anyway, is the idea of following the light. You talk about it in terms, it's a metaphor. I mean, in terms of the first, just very um, kind of the, again, the tangible or the visceral idea of that is that you follow the light. As a photographer, you go to where the light is. But I cannot stop thinking about how um, important that idea is for us as a people. That we are, mm-hmm. yes, there are so many dark things. And yes, mm-hmm. there are so many things I think to complain about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are many mom circles that basically circle that wagon over and over again about, about what hard things are. And you make a point to say, and I affirm, you know, we talk honestly about our mm-hmm. lives and we talk mm-hmm. honestly about the hard things, but we do have some ownership in following the light and finding the light spaces and spending time there, both with the people and the ideas and the spaces um, that build us up and encourage us and infuse courage in us. So I just mm-hmm. want to say you are doing that. You're doing that in Aww. this book. It sounds like you're doing it in your house. Mm. Um, and I just want to thank you for that because there are lots of ways to approach this idea and you did it in a light filled way. So well done. 
You. Thank you. Absolutely. You see the tears, the tears in my eyes right now. Thank you. That was really kind. Um, thank you. I receive it. I Absolutely receive it. true. Um, okay. Last question that I ask all of my guests, um, is a book nerd question. That's how I write it. I love it. On my, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> two questions. First, a book that you've re- recommended a million times to people. It could be super, super duper old. The author could be okay. super duper dead. And then oh, another gosh. one. Yeah. And this actually the author could be dead for this next question too. Uh, okay. Okay. Looking forward to reading. Um, mm. And this could be in any, any format. You are an artist. So maybe it's an art book, like an actual book of ph- yes. uh, photography, however you want to go. So a book yes. that you've recommended over the years and one that you're excited to tackle in the near future. Okay. Well, I'm going to cheat because I'm going to give two books for Can't, the first question. I love cheaters. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm a cheater. I'm just going to go there. Um, so I have to tell you, Anne Lamont is, is yeah. the goat for me. Like she, yeah. there, no one beats her. She is. I read Anne Lamott every morning before I worked on Create Anyway. She was my daily writing vitamin. I am obsessed with her. How about I that? Read, I will read everything she writes for the rest of time. Okay. Um, Traveling Mercies is yes. one of my all-time favorite books. I, I will love tell that book. a million people to read it. So that's like an old favorite. Yes. Um, but I'm going to tell you a new favorite. I recently read How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. I am telling everyone who will listen to me to read that book. Okay. Then he reminds me. So I had never read anything by him before. was not familiar with the author whatsoever. And immediately I, I mean, I still have Anne Lamott is like in my number one slot. I would put him in a, in a, in the number two. Whoa. I know. And if you all know how much I love Anne Lamott, like, you know, how high praise that is this book. It absolutely blew me away. I laughed out loud the whole time I read it. There were two chapters that brought me sobbing with tears. I felt every emotion under the sun. And the thing that he does so well in this book, he is a person of faith, but he toggles that that faith lens with this very nitty gritty human lens and like really effortlessly toggles back and forth between what it means to be a person of faith and what it means to be a broken human being. And that's what Anne Lamott does well. And, and I've never read anyone that so closely matches her ability to be so funny and to be so profound at the same time. I mean, to be able to make me laugh out loud and cry actual tears out of my eyeballs in one book, I'm sorry. I will tell everyone for the rest of time to I'm read so it. I'm so glad you're saying this. Okay. How to stay I married. Loved it. I loved Here's it. I loved it. I loved it. Key. My husband, who is not a super big reader, I I passed it to him right away and was like, read this book. And he read it in three days. And I just, I cannot say enough good things about it. So, okay. I'm sorry. What was the second question? I well, those are two really great <laughs> recommendations. I don't know if we need any more, but if you have another that you're looking forward to. Oh yes. Looking forward to, oh gosh. You know what? I know Anne Lamott is working on a book and okay. I don't know what it's called. I'm seeing so, a theme. Yeah. There's a theme. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> Anne Lamott writes next is what I'm looking forward to reading. Actually. And I will add again, because I'm a cheater, I'll add a number two in there. Kelly Corrigan is also working on another okay. book and I love of Kelly Corrigan. And I was on a zoom with her in the last few months where she read an excerpt and I cried. Um, and oh. I know it's going to be fantastic. So whatever, again, this don't have titles, great. but yeah. Yeah. No, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Okay. If, it's, uh, okay. if it's up for pre-order, we'll put the name <laughs> of the title, but I Perfect. do love it. Your steadfast fandom. Yes. Um, have yeah. you met Anne Lamott yet? Because you I did. Okay. Let did me you tell keep it you. together or no? No, I no. no, I did not. I did not keep it together at all. I was sweating. I was sure. so awkward. Yep. And I sat, I met her. I my mother-in-law gifted me a writing conference um last year, and Anne Lamont was one of the speakers. And there was, you know, the I had her sign my beloved copy of Bird by Bird, which is like my favorite writing book of all time. And I sat down and I got to tell her that she was my writing vitamin. And I told her that I wrote a book and that every morning before I worked on my book, I read her words and they propelled me forward. And I got to tell her that. And it was so special. And, you know, she was so gracious and just nodded and smiled at me. And I'm sure she's heard that a million times, but I don't care. It was so special to me that I got to meet her and tell her that. That is so great. You didn't weep. I usually weep. 
I I I was oh, so busy sweating and like yeah, being sweating. awkward that I sure. didn't have time to weep. It was yeah. it was like the awkwardness kind of took over, sure. but yeah, I could weep now <laughs> thinking about it because it was really special to me. <laughs> I thought of that as like a preventative to weeping. I should try that. Yeah, sweat, yeah, just sweating sweat. will help just you. Sweat not and be weep. awkward. Yeah, I'll try it. I'll report back. Ashley Gad, thank you so much for your time. I know you have very little of it. And I know that this is the creative window when everyone has gone from school. So thank you so much um, for using you. some of that with us. Thank you so much. You are really good at this. You're oh. really good at interviewing and you're a really good podcaster. And I just want to oh, tell you, you. Oh. I see I've been on a lot of podcasts this year and this is one of my favorite ones. I'm just going to say it. I know. I don't tell everyone that. I'm not kidding. This is real. This is real feedback in real time. (laughs) It is real time. And I didn't even, listeners, I had, this is not a sponsorship. She did not pay me to say those words. That's so kind of you to say, because I do not feel like I know what I'm doing. And I will put it on the record here that the night before my first podcast interview, which was last year, okay, we're, oh no, two years ago, I actually Googled how to interview a human being. <laughs> so that's very nice of you to say that. Uh, it's a it's a work in progress, but I also will receive that compliment. Thank mm, you. Yes, Thank you for welcome. being here. Thank and God speed you me. today as you continue to create. Thank you. Oh, that idea of moving toward the light, chasing the light. I love that. I've noticed the light every single day since Ashley and I chatted. I take photos on my phone. I stop and stare during walks. I give even more reasons to my neighbors to be concerned about the weirdo who lives in the red brick house. And I'm here for it. Try it. Move toward the light this week, not just with your eyeballs and your body, but also with your heart and your mind. Limit time on the news cycle. Moonwalk out of conversations that circle this drain of negativity and the culture of complaint. Spend more time in the light than in the dark and just see what it does for you and report back. I would love to hear. That's it for today, but please share the love by passing along, rating, and reviewing this episode. We for real peeps over here are ever grateful to you for spreading the word to people who might benefit from conversations like this one. We count it such a gift to hang out with you and can't wait to do it again soon right here for real.